Are old people a burden on society? Welcome to Answers News for Wednesday, February 22nd, 2023. Hello, I'm Rocket Rob Webb, aka Rob Webb is what they call me around here. I'm here with our one of our token Canadians here, Patricia <laughs> Angler and Jessa Jaworski, aka JJ. Hello. Uh, so today yeah, we'll be discussing a Yale professor's mass suicide solution for an aging society in addition to other news stories. So let's go ahead and dive right into this first article here, coming to us from the New York Times here. Uh, so let's see. It says, a Yale professor suggested mass suicide for old people in Japan. What did he mean? So essentially, we got this guy here named Yusuke Narita. Is that how you say it? Maybe. With confidence. Maybe, Narita. Yeah. We'll, we'll <laughs> go with that. Um, so he's an assistant professor of economics at Yale. He's taken on the question of how to deal with the burdens of Japan's rapidly aging society. And he says this here. He says, I feel like the only solution is pretty clear. In the end, isn't it mass suicide and mass seppuku? Sapoku, I don't know how to say it, of the elderly, and they basically describe it as the act of ritual disembowelment of, that was a code among dishonored samurai in the 19th century. So, Patricia, is that the only solution for uh, this, well, this problem in Japan? I'd hope not. Now, he said that his remarks were taken out of context, and he was really talking about a metaphor. But then later on, he also said that uh, the possibility of making euthanasia should be mandatory in the future. So that it's kind of hard to make that sound like... Uh, a metaphor as well. And yeah. something that stood out to me about um, one of the other quotes in here was it quoted a professor as saying that every country has every country that has legalized euthanasia only allows it if the person wants it themselves. But actually, official stats say otherwise. So we have here some stats from mm -hmm. the Netherlands collected between 2010 and 2015. And as you can see, over 400 people were actually killed by euthanasia there without consent. Now, killing someone without their consent, that has another word for it. Homicide, murder. Yeah. Yes, murder. That's, Absolutely. That is kind of the slippery slope that you see here. Mm -hmm. As far as the biblical worldview goes, I mean, JJ, what does the Bible actually say about life? What is that foundation that we well, find in Genesis? Yeah, we read in Genesis 2-7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So we see it laid out in Genesis that God is the author and sustainer of life. It's not up to man to decide who lives or who dies. And euthanasia is a slippery slope when people decide it's okay to kill a particular group of people, that opens the door um, wider and wider for other groups of people to then potentially be killed. And the most vulnerable, the preborn, the elderly, the, the disabled, those are the ones who are most who are going to suffer um, from this slippery slope under the subjective hand of people versus the objective standard of God and his word where it says that he is the author and sustainer of creation in Genesis 2-7. And also, I just wanted to point out that Dr. Narita, he mentions that his mother's care cost him a lot of money, and medical care can be expensive, but when that rationale is used um, it's as a means to kill somebody, it's from a secular worldview that does not value life, and it shows life as an inconvenience rather than um, when we start with God's word from a biblical world view where we see that God shows us that all life is valuable, all life is made in his image. Amen. Well so said. well said. I mean, sadly, this thinking, of course, is just nothing new. We're seeing this over and over again, especially in uh, Canada, not too far away. I mean, we're just seeing this all over the world. And just reminds me of Proverbs 836, that those who hate God ultimately love death. So it's no surprise that we're living in a culture of death right now where death is being celebrated, death is being pushed all around us. But of course, the Bible says that death is an enemy, and that's what we need to be basing ourselves on is God's word. That's really how we should be really fighting any issue in our culture today. Let's return to the solid foundation of God's word with zero compromise, and that's really what it's all about. Absolutely. Yep, you did mention Canada there, so I'll just let you know that if you want a little bit of a case study on what can happen here, 
Euthanasia was decriminalized in Canada in 2016, and since then, over 31,000 Canadians have been killed by doctors in the name of health care. Now, the Supreme Court let these rules in by saying that this was only for competent adults over 18 with a grievous and uh, irremediable, so incurable, medical condition for whom natural death had become reasonably foreseeable. But then, and they said, like in the original Supreme Court document, you can read it, that there shouldn't be a slippery slope here. But now, fast forward just a few years later, 2021, they came out with another bill, Bill C-7, which was expanding the criteria so that now they got rid of that statement that it was only for people who were terminally ill and dying. It was now for uh, going to be open to the mentally ill, and now they're talking about uh, mature minors as well. So thankfully, they've postponed the mentally ill part a little bit because that, that'll just lead to chaos. Um, and even recently, there is a, a doctor from the College of uh, Physicians in Quebec, Dr. Louis Roy, and he advised a committee from Canada's House of Commons to allow infanticide for handicapped infants. So you can see it is a slippery slope. Once you start to devalue life and make people an economic unit, and I mean, that was that thinking was back as far back as uh, Thomas Malthus before Darwin. He was a guy that actually inspired Darwin. He said that um, there's few resources in society. People aren't going to be able to uh, continue um, reproducing at the same rate. Um, the, there's going to be kind of a survival of the fittest effect happening. And then um, he inspired not only Charles Darwin, but also Margaret Sanger, who then went on to found Planned Parenthood. So you see a lot of these connections here when you start to treat people as economic units. Right. Yeah, and like JJ was saying, I mean, that's the common denominator. We're seeing the preborn and we're seeing the elderly being attacked in our culture today. And just going back to the biblical foundation here, let's remind ourselves of Romans 12:2, which says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So with that, let's go ahead and move on now to our next article here. So going from uh, Yale professors to the oldest stone tools. Um, that was a hard transition. <laughs> Get it? Hard transition. Stone tools. Oh, better. funny. Solid. All funny. Right, so moving on. <laughs> Don't worry. It, it, it won't be that hard moving forward. Uh, so the oldest stone tools ever found were not made by human hands, studies suggest. So essentially in this one, uh, we have archaeologists that have revealed that what could be the oldest stone tools ever found, and they think someone other than our our human ancestors may have made them. Now, my first thought was aliens. <laughs> is that really the case, JJ? Mm, I'm going to say no. I think it's important to make the distinction between animals and people. God's word tells us that he created all the animals according to their kinds, whereas he made people in his image. And Genesis 1, 26 through 27 mm-hmm. lays that out. It says that he created, or God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. So this means that we are not related to apes, and we did not evolve from them. And because of this distinction, when we find artifacts like this, we we know that they wouldn't be from random chance uh, supposed ape evolved human ancestor, but rather from people who were made in God's image. And also the, these tools, when we discover them, clearly there is forethought that was put into the making of these tools. Um, this article actually says that these tools were used to crush better than elephant's molar can and can cut better than a lion's canine can. And it also says the bones bear deep cut marks where the tool makers sliced flesh from the bones. So we see that they use these to hunt animals. And in, in order to hunt an animal, you need to be able to um, understand that animal. You need to be able to know what kind of tools you need to kill it. So these are people who thought about all this stuff and have intelligence, too, that God gave them. 
Yeah, well said. And another distinction adding to that that's important to make is the difference, we talk about it a lot, between observational science, what you can see, yeah. and historical science, what you're assuming about the past. So in this case, what we can see, there's some stone tools, there's some animal bones uh, with marks consistent with butchery, and they have a couple of teeth that they're identifying as belonging to this ape-like creature called um, Paranthropus, something along those lines. <laughs> And Say it with confidence. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and there's, um, there's a big assumption, a couple of big assumptions going on here. One is that it's calling Paranthropus a, a relative, a, an ancestor of, of humans, distantly related. Actually, it looks like an ape-like creature. You can hop on our website, look up articles about the Nutcracker Man, and you'll find more about that. And another assumption is that um, the owner of the teeth that they found was the individual that was using these tools. That's actually not necessarily the case, right? right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, over and over again, they just say early humans, they say early ancestors, and of course, I mean, from the biblical worldview, we know that there's the ape kind, and then there's humans, there's no so-called in-betweens. If you guys want to learn more about human evolution, how that all works, make sure you guys jump onto your website, onto our website, ancestorsgenesis.org, type in human evolution, spend millions of years on their websites, <laughs> just researching all the articles, as well as answers.tv as well, we, uh, I think there's a DVD on there, basically, how to make an ape man. Um, really good information on how they actually, uh, what they do with the fossils and, and how that all looks. But one of the things that I always notice with again and again, every time we see these kind of evolution articles, you got to separate the facts from the fiction, the storytelling from the observations, like Patricia was saying, of course. And um, there, there's a lot of different imaginary dates that are in here. They're just presented as supposed fact, right? They just insert it like it's a fact rather than actually discussing a lot of the fallible assumptions that go behind it. And one of the things I always think it's, it's interesting, kind of ironic too, is throughout this, they clearly recognize the clear design of these stone tools. Yeah. But these same scientists, if they were to look at DNA today, what do you think their reaction would be? You know, the, in terms of DNA, the most complex, really, information language system, they would look at DNA and say, well, that's just an unguided process. That just happened by chance. But they look at these stone tools, and they think, well, that had to be designed. So, again, Psalm 14.1 says, the fool says in his heart there is no God. That, that all around us, I mean, creation just screams that there's a creator, but they suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. And that's what we see over and over again with these kind of articles here. Well said. All right, moving on. So from Earth out to the outer solar system here. So this one coming from Scientific American called Impossible, New Ring System Discovered at the Edge of the Solar System. So uh, just kind of a really quick brief overview here. I know you guys are uh, just dying to talk about this one, right? I know all about space. No. Astronomy, <laughs> space. Divert so to Rob on this. Just, just a real quick overview here. So what happened is these astronomers are studying these icy dwarf planets here, and they found one called, uh, I think it's called Quowar. Don't quote me on that. Um, we're just going to call it Q for short from now on, just the planet Q. Um, so essentially, this is a small planet past the orbit of Neptune, about the half the size of Jupiter out there. And essentially, what astronomers have found is they found a really thin ring around the planet. It's actually much smaller than Saturn. Typically, when we think of ring systems, we think of Saturn, you know, and uh, Jupiter, Uranus, and Neptune. But this one's got a really thin ring. Now, that's not the surprising part. The surprising part is that this ring system is really far away from the planet. It's past what's called the Roche limit. Now, what you're probably thinking... What is that, this Roche limit? So this is the limit. Basically, uh, it's believed to be the maximum limit for a ring system to actually have developed. And they're saying it's twice as far as this limit. So really, um, just kind of bottom line here, two things that they're trying to struggle with is how did this ring system kind of originate in the first place, and how is it being maintained past this so-called Roche limit here? So it's something we say here all again, all the time. 
wrong assumptions, wrong conclusions, because a lot of them, they're puzzled because they're, they're assuming that this all formed naturalistically rather than actually going back to the Bible, what the Bible says, that all of the stars, the planets, um, everything in the solar system were created on day four, and they were created for his glory. So they point to God's creative handiwork when we're actually looking at these kind of evidences here. And like we were saying all the time, observation versus historical science here, they're taking the data in the present and trying to now reinterpret it to understand what happened in the past here. But real quick, I want to just mention to you guys this very last paragraph here, which I thought was the most interesting part of this article here. The last sentence he says here, uh, this discovery shows you the amazing diversity of things that are in our own cosmic backyard. You don't have to look light years away into the distant universe to find the unexpected. Surprises are still plenty in our own solar system. Does that ring any bells to you? Yeah, it sounds like... Did it ring? Oh, yeah. yeah, You put us through the ringer with that one. (laughs) just going to stay out of this. Kind of sounds like this one right here. Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above, talking about the expanse, proclaims his handiwork. So it was created by God to display his glory. Yeah, I also wrote down Hebrews 1.3 that says, Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So we know that those things are being sustained by the Lord. And when we look at the stars and the wonders of space, we can ascribe to God the glory due his name. There you go. And when you start with that biblical worldview, you don't have to come up with all these hypotheses and confusion that don't necessarily make sense about what's going on, things you wouldn't expect from a naturalistic perspective. So really, the Bible does give the best foundation for the scientific method and for interpreting it and for asking the right questions in the first place. Mm-hmm. And you see time and time again, you see man's opinions constantly changing like, sift- like shifting sands, of course, but what doesn't change? It is God's word, God's infallible word. That, that's why we say all the, here all the time. Are you going to base your authority on God's word or man's word? So anytime we're looking at any kind of evidence, including this out in the solar system, what are we basing our assumptions on? Is it going to be the solid rock of God or man's opinions there? So, all right, moving on there. I think we discussed enough about that. On to, let's see, Asbury Professor, we're witnessing a surprising work of God. So this one coming to us from Christianity Today here. So um, in case you guys uh, have been living underneath a rock, get it, rock. I I, and I, I keep huh. going with the rock uh-huh. puns here. <laughs> um, so in case you guys haven't heard of it, uh, there's this, uh, this revival event, what they're calling it, at uh, Asbury University out there in uh, Wilmore, Kentucky. So basically in our, in our backyard here. It started on February 8th, and uh, I think it went 11 days in total. It just recently ended, uh, officially ended earlier this week. And it drew tens of thousands of people there, uh, media attention globally. And so we wanted to figure out what was going on. So we sent our own Patricia Angler here down there to investigate what was going on. So uh, Patricia's going to tell us a few words on on what's going on here. Right. I definitely uh, recommend that you uh, hop onto the website, answersingenesis.org. You can find Ken Ham's blog on there, and there's like a whole statement. Um, there's some of the things he said, some of the things I said about that. So that really unpacks. I'll just highlight a few of the, the brief um, highlights from that here. And there's also a, a link to a podcast on the end of that article. So you can definitely find more uh, there. I encourage you to check that out. But basically, we want to start with God's word, our foundation, when thinking about everything, including news of revival. So I think actually, Jessica, you had a couple things to say about that, right? Yeah, I wrote down 1 John 4, 1. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets prophets have gone into the world. And so Christians are called to be discerning. That is first and foremost. We need to uh, stand on the authority of God's word and, and look to God's word when these things happen. 
just be, we need to be careful when people jump on movements. Just because other people are jumping on them doesn't mean we necessarily need to as well. So we need to be discerning. And if students are turning to Christ in obedience and they are hearing the gospel, then that's praiseworthy. We should be in prayer for those people. But revival ultimately should lead us to Christ. Mm-hmm. And scripture lays out what it means to be restored, to be renewed, to be made a new creation in Christ. And it is not purely an emotional or experiential-based um, occurrence. The sinner is called to humble themselves before a holy and righteous God to turn away from their sin, repent from it, bow the knee to Christ. And then the Christian no longer is conformed to the world. We're no longer living in the flesh. We're living in the spirit. And Christians also have the indwelling Holy Spirit once we submit our lives to Christ as well. There you go. Yeah, well put. Yeah, one of the things I was thinking about, I mean, with, with a lot of these students that are showing up here, if you listen to a lot of the interviews, they're, they're showing up to try to be revived in their spirit. And, of course, that kind of just threw up a red flag for me because the Bible is pretty clear on if we want to actually revive our spirit, what are we to do? We're just to stick to the basics, right? Reading the Word, sticking to prayer, uh, making sure that you're fellowshipping, making sure you're attending a local church. And, of course, going to a super long worship service, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But, really, if you want to try to get maybe closer to God or revive yourself and um, try to rejuvenate yourself, it's, it's really going back to the Word. It's going back to God's Word, being in it daily on a daily basis. And one of the things, just real quick, I want to make sure that we watch out for is what's going to be the reaction of these students after they've left, now that this revival event is so-called officially ended, what's going to happen? Are they going to continue growing in that sanctification? Are they continue becoming more like Christ and less like our old self? Or are they going to have to continue to have this mountain-high kind of emotional experience? Or are they going to be able to rely on God's strength to make them basically going out in the culture, right, and actually impacting the culture like we're supposed to? There should be fruits of the Spirit. Yep, Mm -hmm. exactly. We're supposed to be seeing fruits of the Spirit that's being produced from this. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits. And I did see, I had some really positive interactions with some of the students there saying that um, as a result of, of the movement that's happened, people are coming together, praying for each other, worshiping, reconciling, serving each other in new ways. So we do uh, hope and pray that that fruit continues and that people continue press, uh, pressing in to serve the Lord and get to know him better. And I also appreciated one of the things that the student said is that uh, the Holy Spirit is everywhere. He doesn't just have a monopoly on one campus or one town. So she was encouraging people people to reach out and pursue God wherever they are at. Yeah, and like Patricia was saying, I highly encourage you guys to check out her post on it. She did a really good job just just describing everything and the takeaways from the event. So definitely jump onto our website, ancestorgenesis.org, and check out that article. All right, so moving on to something uh, a little less of um, good news here. So this one comes from us from Not the Bee. Uh, this is a real thing a Democrat lawmaker just tweeted out. And again, this is not satire here. Um, so essentially, we have this Democratic representative from South Dakota, uh, Representative Aaron Healy. Uh, she says, extremist group Family Heritage Alliance said this morning that the safest place for kids are in families that have a married mom and dad. What a dangerous and un-American belief. Well, I guess that makes all of us uh, pretty extremists, too. Can we just go back to the dwarf planet article? <laughs> yeah, is that, that all right? Be, that might be a little bit better. Yeah, but I mean, marriage is the family unit. And it's an in, instituted, instituted and ordained by God. So we know that it's God ordained. And he brought one male and one female together, um, as we see in Genesis. And he commanded them to be fruitful and to multiply as well. And Psalm 127, 3 through 5 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed Amen. is the man who fills his quiver. 
quiver with them. So because God ordained and created the family unit, it should be held in reverence. So we should look to God's word and hold those things in reverence. And ultimately, this is an attack on Genesis where it's questioning, did God really say? And it's not only a questioning, but it's a dismantling of that family unit that God ordained. And if that family unit that is ordained by God is seen as dangerous, well, then what's the alternative? And we're seeing that play out in culture with homosexuality, with transgenderism, And as Christians, we know that we are called to look to God's standard on the family unit and that ordained institution that he laid out in Genesis. There you go. And um, another interesting point that this article brought up is it did cite examples of research that affirm the importance and value of biblical families every single time. So that's another example of really God's word is supported and affirmed by the real world observational science we see around us in every sphere, including psychology and human flourishing. And this, this um, article as well reminded me of a quote. Usually I don't go around quoting Obama, right? For a number of reasons. One of which being that I'm Canadian. But it reminded me... Yeah, just, just for a moment here. Just for a moment. It reminded me of a quote from his Father's Day speech in 2008. And since we're talking about Democrats, I feel like it's fair game to just quote him a little bit. It was in line with God's word, so here we go. He said, we need families to raise our children. We need fathers to realize that responsibility does not end at conception. We need them to realize what it is, uh, that what makes you a man is not the ability to have a child, it's the courage to raise one. And he added regarding mothers, so many of these women are doing a heroic job, but they need support. They need another parent. Their children need another parent. And that's what keeps their foundation strong. It's what keeps the foundation of our country strong. Mm -hmm. And I would agree with him. This lines up with God's word. It lines up with science. And for a Democrat to say then, was Obama being un-American and dangerous when he said that? That would be very noteworthy. Mm -hmm. According to this representative, he would be. Yeah, I just love one of these comments here in this article. Uh, Basically, it says, Labeling belief in the normal family situation as dangerous and un-American is in and of itself dangerous and un-American. So I was like, amen to that. That was a great comment. And the article also talks about, you know, children raised by married uh, parents do better at school, develop uh, all these stronger skills, and on and on it goes. But that's because, I mean, like Jessica and Patricia were saying, that's because we're made in the image of God. We're living in God's created world. And that's how God designed it to operate. In terms of flourishing, that's the best way for us to do it. It starts with one married man, one married woman, Biological man, I should say. Biological woman. It's, it's sad we even have to like specify yeah. that. But um, one biological man, one biological woman underneath a covenant relationship under God. And then to produce godly offspring. That's what the Bible commands us to do. Mm-hmm. And the only way for us to produce godly offspring is for us to be in our word daily. To make sure that we're feeding ourselves again and again and again. So it just reminds me again of uh, Romans 12.2. Like we talked about before, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So let's continue to base ourselves on God's standard for everything with zero compromise. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason why we're saying that, if you guys want to stay tuned for that, we're going to talk about that after uh, this episode. So make sure you guys stick around for the whole thing here. Anything else on that one? That's good. Well said. All righty, so moving on to, again, a little bit more bad news here. So let's see, this one from Fox News. It says, Christian teacher loses job after refusing to deceive parents on kids' gender transitions from the devil. So essentially we have uh, this teacher named Jessica uh, Tapia here. She's a California teacher who lost her job after refusing to comply, really bow down to the California district's gender policies. Really no surprise 
coming from California here. Uh, citing Christian belief, she's uh, blowing the whistle on the expectations she felt as a teacher to not only hide students' gender transitions from parents, but also to keep them in the dark through lying. So can we go back to the Dwarf Planet article now, <laughs> yeah. please? Yeah, <laughs> that would be good to do that again, yeah. yeah All right, but so. um, I think there's a, there's, there's a really good verse in there's there's a really good um, uh, quote in here that I think she said, and then I'll go ahead and hand over to you guys here. Basically, she said, I essentially had to pick one. Am I going to obey the district in a directive that are not lining up with my own beliefs, convictions, and faith, or am I going to stay true, choose my faith, choose to be obedient to the way the Lord has called me to live? Does that remind you of any uh, biblical verses? Does that ring maybe any bells there? Maybe choose who you'll serve, or maybe you mm-hmm. cannot serve two masters. There's a lot, a lot in the mm-hmm. Bible about that. Yeah, Acts 5.29, we must yeah. obey God rather than men. Yeah, and I mean, this is a result of the destruction of the family unit, kind of what we saw in the previous article. The family is no longer revered as an institution that is ordained by God, and therefore people outside of the family unit then start to think that they know what's best for the children that are within that family unit. So the result is deception and concealing the harmful transgender ideologies um, from the parents. So it's a warning to parents to be cautious, to be discerning about what kind of things your um, uh, children are um, uh, hearing at these institutions as well. And it also shows the reality that Christians will be persecuted, that we are going to be persecuted. And so we need to affirm who are we going to serve? Who are we going to obey? Are we pleasing man or are we pleasing God? And we need to be in prayer as more and more people will likely face these same kind of situations too. So prayers that they would remain strong and courageous in the Lord. That's right. And on that note, some ways that you can prepare yourself for that kind of context as we're seeing more pressure and hostility coming out. I um, have a bunch of resources for Christians in secular universities, and the things that I've found help Christians in these hostile settings actually apply to helping Christians in any hostile settings. So in my resources for students, one of the things that I point out is super helpful based on what I've heard from different students in different places and experienced myself is draw boundaries ahead of time to think through all the different types of pressures you might face as a Christian in certain settings, and then think through how you will respond ahead of time so that when the pressure comes, you'll already have a plan. You don't have to agonize over the decision. You've already made that commitment and solidified it in your mind that you will stand firm and follow Christ. And that goes back. It reminded me of something in the book of Daniel, where it says Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's delicacies when he was exiled in Babylon. He knew that doing so would have meant disobeying God's command to the Israelites. So like Daniel, I'd like to encourage students that we need to resolve ahead of time that we will stand firm and follow Christ. And there are some ways that we can, that are helpful for doing that and for being a Christian in a hostile context. Again, based on what I experienced at university and have learned from talking to students around the world, have uh, found confirmed from talking to Christians in hard places and from reading books by Christians in hard places. Number one, get to know God, stay in the word, build that strong spiritual foundation yourself, stay in prayer. Second, learn to defend a strong biblical worldview through apologetics resources like we offer here, as well as biblical critical thinking skills, which we also have a lot of great resources for. Third, surround yourself with Christian community. I talked to actually a guy who was involved in the underground church during communism over in uh, the Czech Republic, or Slovakia, I guess it was at um, at the time where he was, and he said that as a Christian there, um, it was really um, oppressive in most of the cultural context, but he said that his 
his small group, his little underground church group, his student group that he was a part of, was like an island of freedom. So it really makes a big difference to be able to get together with other Christians and encourage each other. And I'd also encourage you to read books written by strong Christians before us who have gone through these um, hard environments all the way back through church history. You can find some great resources on that as well. And those are just a few ways that we can be responding as we see more of the darkness closing in. Yeah, well said. I mean, God just simply put, God calls us to be obedient and faithful to his commands. And Jesus also, I mean, he doesn't promise us a great life, a fulfilling life. We're not going to have all these riches, of course, but we will be persecuted for our faith. And that's what we have to look forward to, continue to train up the next generation. That's what we say here all the time. Make sure they can defend themselves because this kind of thing is only going to get worse, guys. We have to make sure that we're grounded in God's word on biblical foundation for everything. And um, it's something we say here all the time. There is no neutrality. Neutrality is a myth. It's either man's word or God's word. Really, it's either the religion of secular humanism or Christianity. And we're actually seeing this in this article. I wanted to point this out to you guys. Um, It says here, the district cannot accommodate your religious beliefs. And so they go on and on and on. Basically, that what they're trying to say here is that you can't, you can't have your Christianity, but you have to actually bow down. You have to actually accommodate our own religious beliefs, really bow down to secular humanism. And that's what we say here all the time here. Anytime you take your own thoughts, your ideas, your opinions, you elevate them above God's word, and all of a sudden man's word becomes the authority, and that is humanism in its basic, simplest form there. And that's what we're seeing here all the time here. Uh, create, uh, you know, these, these kind of people, they're not trying to be neutral here, that, but actually they're p- kicking out, they're replacing Christianity with the religion of secular humanism. That's what we're seeing here again and again and again, especially in the state of California here. I feel like every week we're talking about the state of California here. And again, I mean, just reminds me of this Bible verse. Can you guys think of the Bible verse? I'm going to bring it up. Romans 12. There we go. Romans 12 too. You guys are going to be walking around with this... Just stuck in your head here. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Let's remember to base ourselves on that. And really, the most loving thing we can do, guys, is really just continue to speak the truth in love. The Bible says it's not loving to conceal the truth, but that real love rejoices with the truth, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's continue to speak the real truth with zero compromise. Mm-hmm. That seems like a theme that's coming up a lot. <laughs> yeah. We'll see what that means. Yeah, you guys make sure you stay tuned, all right? Mm-hmm. All right, so last one here. All right, this one also from Not the Bee. Uh, the case manager of a gender clinic here in St. Louis uh, realized how gender-affirming care is destroying kids. So essentially she tells her story here, and um, she had a really good quote in here. I wanted to just uh, go over here with you guys. I'll kick it over here. Uh, it says, after years of being duped into the believing she was helping trans kids, Jamie Reed finally had enough of the lies and saw enough damage that she could no longer remain silent. And I want you guys to realize here that Jamie, she actually claims to be queer and she's married to a so-called trans man. So this isn't a Christian. This isn't really a conservative. This is actually someone coming from in the LGBT community that's actually seeing the harmful, destructive influences and all this gender-affirming care, and it's actually destroying our youth. 
All right, so can we go back to the Dwarf Planet article? <laughs> yeah. la- I mean, seriously, it's the last chance, right? <laughs> yeah, that is the last chance. Yeah, the, I, I um, pointed out the quote here that she says, the simplicity of beginning to transition, to, it says, to begin transitioning, the girls needed a letter of support from a therapist. And then she goes on to talk about that a little bit. But she says that's all it took, that really it was just meeting with this therapist in order to get these uh, girls to be put on testosterone. And the side effects are never talked about with this, so they don't know all the harmful effects that are coming out of this. And it's relatively simple for them just a letter from a therapist in order to get these harmful life-altering and life-changing hormones that are going to uh, completely alter them. Right, right. And very briefly on that note, that is a staple of medical ethics is informed consent. So actually knowing the risks and uh, the different possible side effects, what might happen down the road. And minors, by the way, are not considered competent to provide uh, informed consent. Now, they're trying to change the laws in some places because of this type of issue. So parents have to be the ones to give the consent, except parents, actually, if you look at it, are experiencing some undue influence and what we could rightly consider coercion based that they're not necessarily allowed to say no. For instance, so there's an article in the Journal of Medical Ethics in 2020 that it said that parents who don't allow their kids to do what they want in this respect should be considered neglectful and treated as abusers by the state. So that just shows you that there's a bit of a broken system when it comes to informed consent. These are some of the things we can be thinking about, praying about, and on that note, sharing the gospel because people are looking for hope. They're looking for the hope in Jesus. And Jesus, nothing that we can do, not technology, not um, trying to change ourselves, that is not ultimately going to satisfy our recognition that we are broken and the world is broken. That's right. Worldviews have consequences. That's what they'll say. Mm-hmm. And speaking of the biblical worldview, Romans 12, <laughs> 2. Have you guys seen this one before? <laughs> Do not so. be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind and by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Have you guys memorized that yet? <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So uh, as we kind of wrap up here, so we, we talked a little bit about um, just in terms of what's happening in terms of our culture here. Um, we have what's called the gender and marriage war here, if you want to hold that up here. Um, that we're seeing just left, right, and center here. Marriage is getting attacked. Uh, You know, the the concept of gender is getting attacked here because we don't have the biblical basis, the foundation of Genesis. So highly encourage you guys to check out this book, as well as uh, Will Will They Stand, written by Ken Ham here. So in terms of trying to equip the next generation, that's what we say here all the time. Let's equip the next generation. Let's make sure our kids can stand before the secular giants, really the tidal waves that are hitting them all around us. So if you're a parent, definitely encourage you guys uh, to check out that book, Will They Stand? You can jump onto our website, or you can buy it here at our bookstore at the Creation Museum here as well. So um, as we kind of wrap up here, we want to let you guys know about a new uh, podcast called Zero Compromise that we just launched here. Real Life Stories, Biblical Truth for Real Life here. It's with uh, us three amigos here. So um, I think our, our title is Helping You Stand for Truth in the World that Falls for Lies. That's right. right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be interviewing different people, whether that's uh, researchers and scientists around here. Our first episode, we talked with filmmaker Stephen Kendrick. He shared some awesome advice for young people. That's our our target audience, as well as just an amazing story of how God connected him with his future wife. Mm -hmm. So I encourage you to check that out. It's a big help if you uh, subscribe as we're just getting this launched so that we can help it reach more young people. Yeah. Equipping young adults to stand on the truth of God's word with zero compromise. Zero compromise. That's why we kept saying that zero (laughs) compromise throughout the episode, if you guys guys didn't catch that. So um, it'll be on YouTube. Um, Spotify, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, kind of all the different places. So make sure you guys share this across your social media. We want to try to get as many people 
uh, tuned in as possible here. So mm-hmm. um, we also want to let you guys know about high school labs here at the Creation Museum. If you want to yeah, so talk we have, a about this. We have labs here at the museum as well as the Ark Encounter, and we do summer intensives. So we do a variety of science topics, chemistry, physical science, forensics, environmental science, um, anatomy and physiology, a, a lot of other ones. You can go to our website on the education tab to look at it and sign up and register. Registration is live for the next year as well. So they're a great um, way to hear about science from a biblical worldview. And we also have Explore Camps as well. Yeah, we do Explore Camps too. So we have Explore Camps coming up here soon. Um, and so you can register for those. These are a five-day camp where we have a different science topic on each day. A lot of hands-on activities to help um, the students that come into the camp to learn about these science topics from a biblical worldview as Speaking well. of that, next month, actually, April 5th, I think is the date, I'm actually going to be having an Explore Rocket. So if you guys want to launch some rockets, make sure you guys check that out. Jump onto our website. You can register for that. Um, you can learn more about rockets from a biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's all the time we have for you guys today. Make sure you tune in again next Wednesday at 2 p.m. for another Answers News Live. And uh, with that, God bless you guys. Have a great day. 